Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hello, it's Andy Richter. Uh, today, I am talking to Josh Gad. Josh is an actor, comedian, and singer. He's a true star of stage and screen, and he's best known for his iconic performances as Elder Arnold Cunningham in the Book of Mormon musical and as Olaf the Snowman in the Frozen franchise. He's currently back on Broadway for Gutenberg the Musical with our pal Andrew Rannells. He joined us via Zoom from New York City. Here's my conversation with Josh. Hi, everybody. I'm here today. We are on a Zoom call, but I'm here with the much beloved and now omnipresent. You got so much stuff coming up. I'm talking to Josh Gad. How are you, Josh? Well, now that I'm talking to you, I'm much better. I oh, mean, boy. I, I started my day off and I was like, what, what does today have in store? <laughs> I looked at my calendar. I saw that I get to speak to you. And I got really excited because, I, as you know, I love you. I love you, too. Are, are you at home? And I know you have two little kids. Are they still home or are they in school now? They're in the, So they're back in L.A. And okay. um, I'm, uh, I'm a not great father figure right now. And I'm in New York doing a yeah. job uh, called Broadway. Um, but, you know, we sort of had this philosophy where we, d- we didn't want to disrupt their lives by kind of taking them nomadically wherever I have to go for work. So I'm out here for four months and they're going to come every month uh, that I'm here to come visit. But it's really hard right now not seeing them every I, day. I can imagine. Yeah, no, I can. I mean, let me see here. They're 12 and Why? Uh, you, I mean, you nine. don't even have to. You don't even have to do research. You have me. I can just tell you. <laughs> I know, but I, I wanted to impress you by looking at my notes. I have notes, after all. I'm, That's really... I'm, I'm an interviewer. I'm very uh, impressed. This is like doing 60 <laughs> minutes. This is so much bigger than I could have yeah. imagined. <laughs> yeah, it is. Once they get to be that age, it is hard to... It is hard to cart them around, you know. It, it, I, it's it's hard, and they have their social lives, and it's 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 slightly unfair at times. And I'm like, as hard as it is for me, I I get, thank God for this and like Facetime because I get yeah. to uh, I get to see them every night. Although they're at that age now, that I'm noticing that they're like, it's it's work to get them to want to talk. Oh, like, yeah. They'll say hi, Dada. How's everything going? And 
but like they're like to actually it's like pulling teeth to get any information yes. about like school or anything out of them yes i have i uh i got divorced in 2019 and my daughter uh is is 18 now she's in her senior year of high school oh, and i i you know i i mean in in addition to just the tumult and the you know the just the wrenching thing that a divorce is of course. i was like i was like oh you know again the you know the worst thing was that i didn't live in the same house with my kids that was by far the yeah. the worst part yeah. of it among many sh- shitty parts of it but I started to really feel like, oh, I'm I'm losing touch with my daughter. And then I had so many people with with teenage daughters tell me it. You, if you lived there, she wouldn't want to talk to you. You no, know, it's it's if wild. You were in the same it, house, she would she would be like, all right, yeah, yeah, sure, you're great and all, but I'll see you in a few years. Ava is Ava's always been. She's my oldest one, and she's always been daddy's girl, and like it's just the sweetest, most giving, most caring. And it is wild because she's about to be 13 and I've been warned so many times that like, this is the age where they like start to change and I'm seeing it firsthand and it's such a bummer because like, I want to hold on to that like my entire life. And I've heard it, they come around, but I grew up one of three boys. So this whole, you know. Uh, household full of estrogen is a, is a whole new uh, thing <laughs> yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. Well, there is yeah. there is an aspect to father daughter relationships too because I have an older son, and now I have because I, I I remarried to somebody that had a little girl, and so I have a three year old now too. Oh wow! I miss so that I'm I'm back to although the three year old you know she had a pre existing relationship with her mother, so I'm kind of like I'm the right. new guy, and I'm so I'm still <laughs> earning I'm still earning my space. But it's different than having a son. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't, you can't, I, 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 I never really understood what, because people who, with daughters had always told me about that. And you just really can't explain it. It really is a thing. Like, yeah. And I, I'm, you know, my, my poor wife gets into these like, you know, heated d- d- debates about things that the girls should or shouldn't be doing. And, and they're much more forceful with her. And then, of course, I'm a pushover. Yeah. They always come to me with those big, beautiful eyes. And I'm like, oh, babe, just let him have one more candy <laughs> or just let him watch YouTube all what? night long. Ter- I mean, terrible. They're old, they're Ter- old terrible enough parody. to vape. Just let him vape. What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's the harm of them trying yeah. just one eight ball, babe? It's just one. Yeah, it's, it's not, no, not great. I, well, that's the other thing, too, is I always found having a boy and a girl uh, that the the uh, the boy, uh, you know, like my my son, he there are things he would uh, that he would do that I would be like, I see through that bullshit and cut it out. <laughs> and, and it was the same. But then my daughter would do stuff that would drive my ex-wife crazy. And I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I think I, there's just like intragender, like, oh, I, I, I know what you're doing. Cut that shit out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. So. I, that is, I think that that's accurate. I'm very fascinated with like all of my friends who have boys right now at the age that my girls are, because there's a lot of like, just, you know, stuff that I was like, oh God, we really are Neanderthals as children. Like boys yeah. are just neat. And girls are just so much more sophisticated. Like I'll be around I, like random boys just playing with their junk in front of me, and I'll be yeah. like, "What? What, what is happening?" <laughs> what, what I always say, we? I always say, like having a little girl 
is like having a computer and having a little boy is like having a hammer. Like that's the difference <laughs> in raising them yes. in, in terms of yeah. subtlety and, and the sort of uh, level of sort of maneuvering and negotiation that goes into raising the two, you know, you, it's, that, that is, that is a very accurate description. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're in New you're in New York right now because you're has it has it debuted? It has. It just you just previewed, right? Just we we, uh, I we said, just I said previewed. Like it's I was Broadway. like, are you are you uh, British? Preview. Uh, we I just preview previewed on Broadway. Yeah, we yeah. just had our first preview. Um, our first actually week of previews uh, for Gutenberg the musical, the the new show I'm doing with my Book of Mormon co-star Andrew Reynolds and and Andy. It it went. I, I, I knew this show was special, which is why, like, after 10 years, I decided to come back to Broadway. But I, I didn't, I, you, you always hope, right? Even with Book yeah. of Mormon, I had this expectation that, like, the show was going to open and close after three months because it was just too controversial. Right. And with this show, I was like, you know, my instinct is it's really special and it's really heartwarming and it's really funny. But until you get an audience in there, you really don't know you're white knuckling it through those first couple of previews because you're like, are they going to come along for the ride? And it has been nothing short of astounding to see the reaction um, in real time to to this thing that we've put all of our heart and souls into and and body in in my case. I've, I've never worked so hard uh, for my supper as I do in this show. And oh, really? and it's just oh god, it's it's the most physically challenging. I'm playing twenty characters, uh, Andrew and I throughout the show. Uh, literally have to balance and wear over 120 hats as part uh, of the conceit of the show. Oh my uh, God. We're, we're, we dance in every song. It's a two person show in which it, it, there's like a hundred characters represented and we're, you know, we're also our own crew cause we're moving things all over the stage. So it's very physically demanded because it's a musical. It's also very vocally demanding, but it has been such a joy. Uh, blood, yeah. sweat, and tears uh, have all been expended and now to see the uh, the visceral reaction night after night is uh, is everything I had hoped for and more. So I'm 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 having the time of my life, and we're doing it uh, for uh, 19 more weeks. I'm here through January 22nd, and and it's just been uh, such a joyful beginning. Where where did the like just like the germ of the idea of you know a musical two guys doing a you know like a a, a, a completely ill informed musical about. Gutenberg and that being just a two man show, where was the germ of that idea? Well, so formed? Scott Brown and Anthony King, the the two uh, creators of the show, originally came up with this concept at UCB, and they performed it uh, uh, as as part of the um, UCB showcase, and you know it was a, it was a big success, and and after that, I think Alex Timbers, the director of the show probably saw it at UCB and then said, you know, I'd love to actually help you guys adapt this as a, as a state show. And I think first it went to London, then it came off Broadway and, um, it had a, a pretty successful off Broadway run. And that was, uh, I, I want to say like with 15. the same guys with the creators. No, two, two, two different actors. Oh, I see. And then, and then, um, it sort of had this cult following. I didn't know about it. And I was talking to Alex Timbers about doing a funny thing happen on the way to the forum, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And we yeah. were, we were sort of going back and forth about like what that would mean. And 
one thing led to another and we both felt like not exactly the right time for it, but we knew we wanted to do something. And Alex said, you know, I want to send you something. It's called Gutenberg the Musical. Let me send it your way. When he first described it to me, I was like, I I don't know if this is kind of what I'm looking for. It seems very meta and like just a little eccentric. And I was like, I I don't know if it feels too insular, too small for what I'm I'm imagining. I want to go back and he goes, just take a look at it. So he sent it to me and I go, okay, this is hilarious. I have a couple of thoughts, but this is really smart and really funny. The only human being I would want to do this with is Andrew Randall's. He goes, well, funny you should say that. I've also been talking to Andrew about it. <laughs> so he's <laughs> manipulators sort of like, surrounded he, by manipulators. Uh, it's like the best form of directors, man- manipulation <laughs> at its kindest. Uh, and so Andrew and I said, okay, here's the deal. Let's get in a room with Scott and Anthony and you, and let's, let's hear this out loud. Let's just do it out loud. Music yeah. stands, sing it through. So we did it. We all looked at each other and we go, really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, why don't we take next steps? That was March of 2020. Mm. And two days <laughs> Oops, later, the world shut down. Yeah. Uh, out of sight, out of mind. And at the beginning of, uh, well, at the end of last year, Alex writes me and he goes, Gutenberg, what do you think? I go, man. How soon do you want to do it? He goes, you think we could get it up this year? And, and I, Andy, I'm somebody who's very sort of like, it's a very big sacrifice to leave my family. So sure. a four-month commitment to go do a Broadway show was not something that came easily. And I said, okay, let, let's do one more reading. Let's see how it goes. And then if we're all happy, let, let's take next steps. We did it. Felt like an old glove. We said, all right, this is it. Let's do it. Let's, I have this opening. I had no idea at the time that it would be a very long opening because of the, the actors in the sure. strike. And so we, uh, we, you know, we carved out this window from September till January. And uh, over the past uh, month or so, we've been in a rehearsal space bringing this thing to life, you know, and taking the promise of what was on Off-Broadway and making it our own and adding elements to to make it um i think even more of a love letter to musical theater than it already was and it's just been so fulfilling and so rewarding to be able to perform live for an audience again i i really missed it i i it, like i didn't realize how much my soul needed that yeah. and it's I, I love film and tv but it but this keeps you honest in a way that those mediums don't uh, sometimes and I needed this at this point in my career, in my life. I, I sometimes I need a check in with my craft and with my, um, you know, m- my love. And theater is always that check in. It always is like, okay, I'm in front of a live audience. They're going to hold me accountable for two hours, and I better bring my all every single night. And there's no holding back. And and I got and I gotta, you know, they're paying a premium, and I have to give them a show worthy of their time and their money. And, and it's been grueling, but also exhilarating. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I, you have to come out and see it. You're going to love it. I, I, I mean, I, at some point I definitely will, but yeah, because it sounds hilarious. And I mean, and I, I you know, I saw you guys in, in uh, book of Mormon and you know, I, it was, so that was, that was such a, a magical 
show. And I, you know, I like, I like a lot of, you know, I like show tunes, but I, again, my attention span is so bad that the theater to me is, can be difficult. Like, I'll just, tell you, I'll, so I'll tell you something that I, I only heard and it's a small sample size, but people are coming to see this show and they're saying the same thing they said with Mormon, which is, I don't like musical theater. And this is now one of my favorite shows I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I think a part of it is that the show is so relentlessly funny. I would say pound for pound, it may, this is, this is crazy, but it may actually be as funny, laugh for laugh oh, wow. as Mormon, but in a completely different way. Sure, sure. In a completely sure. different way. Yeah. Equally as irreverent, but in a completely different way. And I yeah, think yeah. a part of that is just our experience of doing Mormon and Randall's and I feeling like, look, expectations are high. There better not be a wasted breath in this show where sure. the audience isn't laughing or exhilarated by something they're watching. Yeah. So we we've we've really and and Timbers, our director, has been very aware of that expectation. And we have this built-in audience who are expecting a certain thing. And and based on the early previews, the the resounding response seems to be, oh shit, it's it's a completely different package, but it's the same joy. Yeah, yeah. What, ha- what now? I mean, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to jinx anything, but what happens if it's a crazy runaway success? Do you, do you maybe do more? Do you maybe extend, or do they, do they recast? You they know, put I some I, sort of second raters in there afterwards. No, there's no set. That's not a thing. Don't you dare uh, talk about right, that. No, right, yeah, we, okay. uh, we, uh, let me hit pause and then we'll talk honestly. We committed. We, we, Andrew and I really felt strongly that we wanted this to be a limited run. Yeah. So the the idea was this is four months. You either see it or you don't, and that's on you. And and it's it's a it's a bummer, but it's also I felt like I overstayed my welcome at Book of Mormon. I was there for a year and a half and and mm. I I don't think towards the end I was in a, in all fairness giving my all. And I was I was tired. I was somewhat, you know, bored of doing the same thing for you know a a year and a half is a long time to say the same words night after night and i vowed to never put myself or my audience in that position again so i want to leave with them and i wanting more and and that's the idea here and and you know i hope it is a resounding success and never say never uh but for now i think the plan is uh january 28th will be our final show yeah yeah no i i mean that's you know, I come from an improv background and the times that I have done theater, that has been the real hard thing for me. And I just, I think it's just because I never was used to it. I was used to constant change and it suits me. Like, you know, even when I started working out of college, I worked in film production and there was the freelance life appeals to me because it's always different you know, and then I went to work for Conan O'Brien for, you know, the better part of 30 years. <laughs> Looking at that face. Uh, you guys are uh, <laughs> a, one of the great iconic teams of comedy. You, it's it's funny. Randall's and I are now getting, I, I think, inappropriately linked to some of those like comedic pairings. And I do think of you and Conan as one of the like iconic comedic pairings of, of, uh, of all oh, time thank you. in comedy. Thank I really you. do. Thank you so much. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, 
but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts, or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel. Can't you tell my love's a girl? Were you an, an acting kid? Like, did you, were you always kind of putting on shows and? I, I yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm sort of the, like, uh, I'm a case study in, in, you know, the, the sort of, uh, story that you hear about, like, you know, children of divorce, uh, becoming, uh, you know, needing an outlet. It's so a lot of them turn to acting and yeah. I, um. I'm sort of that cliche. I, I, you know, I, my parents got separated when I was five years old. I could see the sadness in my mom and vowed to try to pull her out of it by being goofy. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, the first anecdote I remember of like being an idiot was my mom got called into school when I was in kindergarten and it's very hard to have you know, a reason for teachers to call parents into school in kindergarten. Yeah. And they called my mom in because I would apparently walk into class late for some reason. And when I walked in, I would say, hiya toots to the teachers. <laughs> and they did not like that. Um, and, uh, or I would say, or I would say, Lucy, I'm home. And so they were, they, I was disruptive at six. And so I think that was like, I always kind of had this desire to get laughs and 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 make people happy, and you know it, it was one of those things that like went from like a a sort of yeah I'm doing this because it brings me joy to I'm doing this because I feel like I need to do this because I yeah, feel like yeah. it's a passion, and so I I you know I told my parents I told my mom um, at at you know pretty early age this is what I want to do. And uh, she said, great, you're not going to be a, a professional actor until you get, um, you know, an education. Yeah. And, and she said, you can go to conservatory, but it's got, you've got to get a diploma. And I'm so grateful for that. And I went to Carnegie Mellon and 
And I learned and was able to hone my craft there alongside some amazing people in my class, Josh Groban, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton and, and many other incredible things, Rory O'Malley, who I did Book of Mormon with. And after that, I, I struggled for about two and a half years where I, I just really, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't breaking in at all. And I called up my mom one day and I said to her, um, I think I'm going to go to law school because both of my brothers went to law school. And I was like, I, I, I feel like, you know, I met somebody I really, really love. This was Ida who had become my wife. And I was like, I feel like maybe it's time to like settle down and, and this isn't going my way. And my Jewish mother started crying and she said to me, I'm disappointed in you. Oh, wow. And I said, and I said Why are you disappointed? What Jewish mom says disappointed when their son says, I'm going to law school? It's like everything a mom wants to hear. She goes, you spent 15 years dreaming about doing this and only two and a half years try to live out that dream. And I think that's a cop out. And I was like, whoa. Wow. And a week after, there was this show on Broadway called 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee yep. that uh, Dan Fogler, a brilliant actor, won a Tony for. And my buddy saw it and he said, Josh, I, there's literally only one person who can take over for this guy when he leaves, and it's you. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I didn't go to school for musical theater. I, I think they didn't think I was good enough to be a musical theater person. So oh, they put really? me in the, wow. in the acting, in the acting uh, wow. category, straight in acting. In Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, in Yenzertown. And, uh, and so I auditioned and uh, I somehow pulled a rabbit out of my hat and I got the role and it changed my life. And, uh, wow. and I haven't looked back. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, I mean, because I complete the, the, just did, when you said something about, you know, like making your sad mother happy, like, oh boy, does that strike a nerve with me? Because my folks divorced when I was about four and I have this image of my mother in a waitress uniform, laying on the couch of my grandmother's house with her forearm, forearm over her eyes. And that was like about a year, I think, yeah, a year or yeah. two of just where she just needed to be quiet and heal for a little while. Yeah. And, and so, it's and I, it's I traumatic. felt that same pressure, you know, I felt yeah. that same pressure and it would come out at school too, in the same way, because like, I, I wish someone had taken a picture of when I was in kindergarten on my birthday. Uh, if it was your birthday, you wore a little crown all day. And then there was, <laughs> there was either a pink or blue, like this felt sleeve that would go over the back of your little desk chair that said birthday boy or birthday girl on the back, like some little arts and crafts thing. And, uh, I, <laughs> that day, apparently I was a little amped because it was my birthday. And this is when they used to be able to do things like that. Um, I was tied to my chair with a jump rope by the teacher. <laughs> And my brother, who's three years older than me, just like during recess, I was yeah. left tied to my chair with a fucking crown on my head That's and incredible. birthday boy on the back tied to my chair. And my brother walked by and just looked in the doorway and just laughed, just laughed at me and then went out to play with the other children. We need, so. by the way, we need to 
speak to your kindergarten classmates and find oh. there's got to be visual <laughs> evidence of this somewhere. I no, I don't. I doubt it. I doubt it. And especially like, well, it would be actionable at this point to the teacher yeah, by for the actually way, restraining yeah. a child with a rope. Yeah, that would probably be frowned upon now. Yeah, yeah. Did that? Was that a component of you? Like, has that been a component of of you? You know, like wanting to make everybody happy and kind of you know sweating it out to kind of. You know, where you and and where being a performer, you kind of made lemonades or a lemonade out of lemons, you know, in, in terms of the urge of just trying to keep people happy. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I was actually um it's very interesting. I, I had this sort of out of body moment the other night as I was doing the show, and we're in that sort of overwhelming process right now where we're doing tech during the day, uh, during yeah. previews, and then doing the show at night. So things are changing. And it's and very it, stop and start and very frustrating. It, it's it's yeah. very frustrating. And and then you're you have the added stress of having to remember new lyrics and new choreography to a song as you're doing the show live for people. And it's very stressful. And I I was I was just like I had this moment of frustration on stage where I was like internally like God, I'm I'm really upset right now. Like this is frustrating. I hate that I like I hate that I'm worried about what I'm what's coming up because I I don't want to forget it and screw up the show. And I just looked out in the audience and I saw how happy they all were. I was like, you know what? There's nothing to be stressful about. Yeah, I'm giving these people a, a moment to just enjoy their lives and enjoy yeah. themselves. And that's priority number one, two, and three. And it, it's just a reminder of like, that's what we signed up for. Right. And sometimes the clown is sad and, and, yeah. and that is oftentimes when we're at our best, my, my idol is Charlie Chaplin. There's a man who was tormented from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. And, and if you read his biographies, there's just so much sadness. There's so much like anger and there's so much angst. And at the same time, the tramp gives us these brilliant sort of opportunities to reflect off of him yeah. what it means to what what humanity means, right? Yeah. Whether it's the kid or whether it's Gold Rush or, or whether it's modern times. And and I think that that's, you know, I, I was blessed enough to know Robin Williams. I've been blessed enough to know a lot of incredible comics who I think all have this underlying sadness at their core yeah. and it's that marriage of those two things that i think really you know sometimes can both be volatile in the worst of ways and volatile in the best of ways in terms of performance and and you know there are days when i'm really sad because i'm not with my children and i i try to weaponize that through comedy and 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 that helps me get through it it's therapeutic it's cathartic and it, and it feels it feels like it, it, it's it's not only is it giving others a chance to laugh, but it's also giving me a chance to express my grief in a way that is unorthodox. Yeah, yeah. Now, and you have been you've been pretty open about uh, struggling with anxiety. You've had oh, you yeah. know like specific. I think it's generalized anxiety. Generalized anxiety disorder is that it? That literally. Could, couldn't be more perfect that it's I know uh, it's, it's Gad, crazy that yeah, yeah, that yeah. Gad has Gad very open about it because I want people to know that like misery has company and like I um 
you know, when I tell you that at, at 21 years old, when it started, um, out of the blue, um, it was crippling. I mean, I, I couldn't leave bed. I didn't know what was going on. Tell me, yeah. Tell me how that happened. Like what, like what the first time that it happened? So the first time it happened, I, I, this is strange, but I smoked something in, in college and it, 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 it sort of started after that where like I said, not, not to say I, I don't, you know, believe in marijuana and, and by the way, I still use it, but okay, I had, I thought, I thought you were talking about fish. Yeah. I, sm- I smoked, something. I smoked a little fish. Uh, it was around <laughs> Rosh Hashanah and, and it triggered me in a really bad way. Uh, yeah. so, so I, I, I had this adverse response Yeah, and, uh, and then and was that the first time, was that the first time you ever smoked weed? So that was the first time I ever smoked weed. Wow. Uh, and and it was and it, and it instead of like, you know, doing what like I've now found sort of like my happy place when when I uh, you know, t- take anything like that, but it, back then I didn't know. I I was just somebody was handing me something, I smoked it and I had a really bad response. Yeah. And my heart just started Shortly thereafter, and, and I and I don't necessarily know that there's a cause and effect to that. Um, I, I think it was also just like at a time in my life when a lot was going on and I had lost yeah. a bunch of weight and I felt out of body. I didn't feel like myself. My parents left my child at home. Um, and it was all just like I was about to leave college. Everything was like climax. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I went home uh, the summer before my senior year of college. And one night, I thought I was having a heart attack. I couldn't catch my breath. Wow. Could not breathe. And I started sobbing uncontrollably. I like, I, I could not stop crying. And I didn't know what the hell was happening to me. Wow. And I went to go see every doctor imaginable. And I thought that somebody thought like maybe I was having, I had um, MS. Somebody thought that I had wow. like, it was like all of these different things. And it was, that it was won't, really- that won't- that won't help the stress. No, not not at all. Yeah, and geez. like my parents got like my my stepdad and my mom, God bless them, would try like everything, like taking me to a baseball game, and everything would trigger me and just be worse and worse. And I I couldn't leave my house for like two weeks. Wow. And then one day, um, my brother's like, I think you should go speak to a, a, a therapist. And I was like, No, this is something physically is happening. Like this is and and I and I felt like a prisoner in my own body. Like that's the way yeah. it felt. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I, I went to. I finally went to go see. Um, what is the type of doctor that like uh, looks at neurological stuff? Um, A neurologist. Thank you. You're. It's one of those mornings. I mean, it was right there for the taking. (laughs) Oh, you mean in the word neurological? There's a doctor who (laughs) who actually has that. So I saw a neurologist, and the neurologist concluded that indeed he thought that it was. Uh, something to do with anxiety. So I went to go see a, a, a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and um, I started taking medication. And over the course of a couple of weeks, it was like someone lifted the veil from this prison I was in, and I could wow. actually see straight again. And with the help of, you know, um, this SSRI that I've been on since I was 21 and, and talk therapy, um, I can live my life and I am so, I feel so grateful and I feel so 
I feel like it's so important because I think a lot of kids going through this don't understand what's happening when it's happening. And it, there's a stigma for some reason, which I don't quite understand. Like I, mental health to me is like any other um, medical condition that needs to be sure. treated. And, and I always we, say, if you were walking around with a broken bone sticking out of your leg, you'd go to the doctor. Correct. You know? and, and, and if you and walk around feeling like you want to die all the time, you're like, nah, it's my fault. I should just get, you know, I should and, just grin and bear it. And, and that's the thing. And, 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 you know, some people can do it without meds and God bless them. For me, it was, it was everything I needed and more. And, you know, I still get a healthy dose of anxiety, but it's not crippling. I can live my life. And, you know, when I feel that sort of like, you know, kind of overwhelming sensation, I'll speak to a therapist and I'll just kind of talk to them about it and I can reacclimate myself and, and, um, and it all feels good. You know, like after this podcast, I'm going to go into a deep spiral of anxiety about the fact that I couldn't remember <laughs> a neurologist as someone who treats neurological disorders. It's okay. Now, this is something, you know, I, uh, I've always been struck because I see it in myself. Like, I'm not, like, I w- if, you, if you were to ask me to typify myself, I would say I'm kind of shy. And yet I'm a clown for a living. You know, like I get yeah. in front of people and act like an idiot. And, and so it's, it's interesting that you, this anxiety reared its head at a certain point, like right too when you're sort of like thinking, I want to be on stage for a living. (laughs) It's very inconvenient, but I see it. I see it so often that these dichotomies and people that get up in front of people to entertain them, they have something where it's like, you shouldn't be doing that. And do you, do you, like has that occurred to you and do you I, are you struck I, by that i will tell you there is not a time when i get in front of an audience whether it's a talk show or whether it's doing my hundredth performance of a state show yeah. where i don't get this like deep-seated anxiety right before i walk out it, it, wow. without fail right and and i've 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 always been like it, i think it's I think it's something that a lot of performers have, but they just don't talk about again because stigmatized, but like then you'll sort of hear about like people like Barbara Streisand and Adele who literally like throw up before they go on stage because they're so nervous. And it is, it's, it's a, I think it's a real thing. And, and I think there's a healthy dose of that, that like turns into the adrenaline that then allows you to do, you know, like, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of this. this is a two, two performances ago. They changed a bunch of stuff. They gave me a bunch of new lines. They gave me some new choreography. And unlike Randall's, who's, you know, done like eight Broadway shows, I've done, this is my third. And I, and it's, it messes with my head. And when, when I get changes and I have to incorporate that, I got seriously anxious and I walked on stage with that anxiety and I was like, Oh, <laughs> it just, it's, you know, it needs an outlet. And last night I was like, I am not going to let this get the best of me. I'm going to take yeah. a deep breath. And I walked on stage and I, as I saw the audience, I, I welcomed their uh, entrance applause and I soaked it in and I let it ground myself and I was able to go. But like, it's, it's always been a thing for me. I, I, I there wasn't a time where I did your show with Conan where I would not get, you know, physically ill backstage before I walked out. I don't know if that's like imposter syndrome. 
I don't know if it's, you know, I, ironically, I share the same fear of public speaking that everybody else in the world does. I don't know what it is, but, but it's, it's, I've come to peace with it because I think it also ends up being something that is useful, something that, that, that turns into this other energy that you can then give, give back. Yeah, it's like a convertible fuel that you can turn into something. That's good. a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but but ecologically friendly. Yeah, exactly. You're not. It doesn't burn anyone but you. Um, That's right. Do you? Did you come up with like? Did you have specific kind of strategies to deal with it, or was it just something that over repetition you just kind of you just knew like I got to plow through and get this done. Yeah, I've I've had I've I've come up with strategies. You know, a simple thing is I actually literally just shake it out before I walk uh-huh. on stage. Like I I it all builds and then all you know kind yeah. of just like let that energy like loose. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I have like little things I'll do uh like I'm just getting deep breaths in and then you know kind of using that to propel me. Um and just you know, the biggest thing is just mentally allowing myself to like speak to my inner id and just say, it's okay. Like, yeah, it's okay to feel this way. And like, we're, we're going to get through it. Like nothing bad's going to happen. Right. We're going to get through it. Right. Um, you know, but, but I also like have never performed without that. So I don't Mm -hmm. know, I don't know what it would feel like to not have that. And yeah. I and I don't and I don't get that way on on film. I don't get that way, uh, you know, when I'm doing uh, you know, TV. It's just really live performing of any yeah, yeah, time. Yeah. in front of us. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once in a lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a crow? You've done, you know, you you've done so much voiceover work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't that, know why. That, I I'm not sure why. Yeah, no, but I, well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you're good at it, and obviously, well, you have you. a voice that 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 works so well in so many different applications. And I I just want to because I I have done you know animated voices too, and 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 do voiceover work, but uh, I just want to like. How does it 
how do you feel about it in terms of your performing? Is it just like, is it like something that you're glad that you, you, you are able to do it? Or is it, a, is it a different kind of performing that you have a different strategy for? Well, in the case of Olaf, it's, it's like one of those things that is probably the most fun thing in the world because my, my favorite thing to do as a kid was play with G.I. Joes. And I would mm -hmm. literally sit there and I would create voices for each of them. And I would like, I had these big G.I. Joe bases and I would like become all the characters. And I liken voiceover acting and animation to that. You're just yeah. a kid in a sandbox and like you have nothing but your voice to yeah. bring this character to life. Yeah. You can't use your face, you can't use your body to tell the story. And so everything needs to be inflected in a way that is full of life to then inspire the animators to do the work they need to do to bring that character to life. Yeah. And with Olaf in particular, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how influential and significant and seismic seeing uh, Robin Williams as the genie in Aladdin in that, you know, 1992, 1993 um, debut, that, that kind of like was the, the end of my sort of amateur love affair with performing and the beginning of like my professional love affair with it. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, I looked at my mom and I was so, I would, it blew up my brain. It was like my internal Oppenheimer moment where I was like, that's what I want to do. Whatever that is, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And, um, and so, like, you know, Frozen gave me that outlet to sort of bring that kind of sidekick character to life, never in a way that will live up to the gold standard, which was which was Robin as the genie. But but it gave me the the opportunity to, to sort of follow in those footsteps. And and it's such a privilege and an honor to get to create a character like that 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 has become so important to so many people of so many different ages. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Especially little kids. Like, that's what's amazing when you get to do a cartoon voice that, that lands with little kids. That's, who you ever know, thought that you'd be doing, you know, that you'd be making a difference to little kids? It, it's, it's really incredible. And I'll be, I'll be walking around sometimes and I'll be on the phone and I'll be talking to my wife or I'll be talking to my kids and I'll see a little head wringing their neck and look at me because they recognize that yeah. voice and and it's just there's wonder in their eyes confusion for sure but wonder and i'm uh i'm really grateful and I, I you know i'm sure you've had this too but i've i've also had both the 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 privilege and the sad reality of having to leave a lot of messages for kids who aren't necessarily doing well right and it it is such a privilege that people reach out to me and say, I think this may, I think you leaving a simple voicemail may lift this child's spirits even for a, a few fleeting minutes. And that, oh. that is the greatest gift to be able to give a family, a, 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 a just a, a sense of peace in a sea of, in a sea of yeah. sadness. Um, and, and I'm, I feel, I feel enormously grateful that I, that I, I get to 
bring a character to life that, that so many people um, feel a connection to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, it's a, that does sound that you're using the word gift for that to be able to make a little kid happy in that situation. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, not a lot of people get to experience, you know, something like that where it is. And, you know, and when you think about it, it's kind of like, well, my agent called me and they had this job and I went and read for it and I got this job. And then you fast forward and you're making kids in that situation happy and well the story of frozen is it's a very it's a very strange and circuitous one it it wasn't that simple it was actually really strangely i did a reading uh of uh of a of an an upcoming animated movie called anna and the snow queen and the reading was me jason biggs megan mullally playing uh the elsa equivalent yeah. And um, Jennifer Goodwin playing um, the the Anna equivalent. They weren't sisters. The music was all different. It was Alan Menken, and we did this reading, and it was fine. And and the the snowman was Anna's like he led an army of snowmen, and his name mm-hmm. was Olaf, and he and he had this like lisp, and he was, he was an odd bird, and it all went away. And the, the Princess and the Frog came out. It wasn't a, a success, and. I think the studio attributed that to princess movies don't sell tickets anymore. And then uh, they were sort of like going to start pursuing a bunch of different types of stories. And Tangled was this last movie that, that they were going to release of the princess movies because it was too far in production. And at the time it was called like Rapunzel or Rapunzel and Braided or something. And they, they were like, we got to change it to Tangled to Boys Come. And then that movie blew up. And then I'm doing Book of Mormon and Jeffrey Katzenberg offers me this DreamWorks movie called Me and My Shadow. It was me and Bill Hader, Kate Hudson. And I'm supposed to do this movie and I record all this dialogue. And it's supposed to come out Thanksgiving of 2013, uh, which is exactly when Frozen is supposed to come out. And I get a call that Frozen is now back on and they want me to play the snowman again. And because the movies are so close in terms of timing, I have to get approval from Katzenberg. Katzenberg says, absolutely not. You cannot do a Disney movie while you're promoting our film. They're coming out too close to each other. Well, I was like, oh, man. So I told, I told this to, to John Lasseter and the team at Disney, and they were super bummed. And I called Katzenberg back and I said, is there any way that you would let me do this? What if I, what, like, it just, can we get creative? And he goes, okay. How about this? You don't do any promotions and they don't use your name in any publicity. I'll let you do it. So I'm like, there's no way Disney lawyers are going to agree to this. Yeah. And somehow they called his bluff and they said, okay. And so me and my shadow ends up going away because it was, it was a beautiful movie, but it was a little dark and adult. And then Frozen becomes Frozen. Did it Frozen. come out? Did it actually? It, it actually it did come out. It didn't come out. Wow! It was it, they, it was it was canceled. Basically, they at that point they had released a couple of darker films, and they weren't doing well. So they went back to sort of like light you know, and airy, the yeah. light air and airy. And this was a noir. It was stunning. It was um, half of it was in three D animation, half traditional two D. So they brought wow. back all these hand drawn artists. And there's, there's visuals online. The movie would have been spectacular, but I think it was, uh, 
a little too sophisticated for it's amazing. For it's amazing how far along they get in things. Then then they just sit on them. They, I can't, I like there's a there's a famous Disney movie that Bobby and Kristen who did um, Frozen, the music to Frozen and Book of Mormon. Uh, Bobby, um, they were working on a movie called Gigantic, and they got like, I mean, that whole movie was half animated, and then they just pulled yeah. the plug. It's it's wow. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you? I mean, I mean, you you got a full plate here. Wish I could talk about it, but there's a, a strike that prevents me from talking. About right, right. <laughs> but you, well, let's just say you got a lot of stuff coming I, out. My my hope is that my hope is that um, the AMPTP will will you know come to its senses soon and and work in you know in a realistic way of trying to solve these you know these these historic issues that have yet to be solved and and unfortunately the industry has changed so much that this is probably our best and final chance to actually make a difference in in these contracts so yeah. that writers in the future can you know, not have to get 10 different jobs in order to make uh, a, an honest living and a sustainable living in, in LA. Right. And, and I, and I, 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 I'm forever the optimist and I hope that we get there and I hope I will be able to talk about these projects that I'm really proud of, but yeah, it sucks. Like I can't talk about any of them right now and I, and yeah. um, I, I support my guild, so I won't, but, but uh, yeah, suffice it to say, there's a lot that potentially is on the horizon and for now, though, I'm just so thrilled to be doing this. I'm also, um, I just wrote my first children's book, which, by the way, I don't think I've mentioned before. This is, you're the first one I'm mentioning this Oh, too. wow. Oh, cool. I may get in trouble. Uh, that's going to come out next year, and it should, I should be formally announcing it soon, but it's very, very exciting. Um, and I'm working on a couple of other things that even if there weren't a strike, couldn't talk about yet, but I will tell you that if they happen, it's going to make you very happy. It's going to make a lot of people very happy. It's oh, a, wonderful. Uh, one of them is, is a very special uh, classic that um, I, I have forever been obsessed with and have been granted the honor of, um, of playing in the sandbox. Of. So I'm, I'm very excited nice. about that. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see. But for now, it's, it's just Gutenberg day and night. <laughs> Well, what do you, uh, you, you know, do you, do you have any plans? Is there things left undone that, you know, that you kind of, where you want to go from here, uh, with your career? Is it kind of just keep, keep going the way you've been going? No. Um, you know, so historically I always come back to Broadway when I want to reset my, my creative aspirations. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, spelling bee was sort of like, the launching off into my career. I started to get cast a lot as the fat, funny friend in, mm -hmm. in TV and film. And I was unsatisfied. It's a, very, I was, it's a very creative part of the business. A very Casting, creative part of the business. It's very, very creative. And I was like, and I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not interested in this. I don't like this. I don't want this. So I, I turned down a lot of money and a lot of different things. And I did a show that at the time, had no promises of even going to Broadway, and that was Book of Mormon. Yeah. And it sort of carved out the next journey in my life. Gutenberg is sort of like, you know, and, and each one has been a different decade in my adult life. Spelling Bee was my 20s. Mormon was my 30s. Gutenberg's my 40s. The next chapter will look different. Uh, I'm challenging myself, you know, to, to take on 
uh, things that scare me a little bit more. I'm um, planning on directing my first film. Um, wow. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, wanting to venture into to new areas, whether it's producing, writing, and directing, and also the the stuff that I act in. Also, just being a little pickier about and 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 doing things that, you know, frankly, uh, scare the bejesus out of me. And and mm-hmm. and that's I think that that's a healthy place to be. Um, and you know, I'm I'm excited. I think that this is a new chapter and and a and a really uh, different one for me. Good. It's you know that's you know, for somebody plagued by anxiety, you seem to throw a lot of challenges in in your own way there. So it's the only it's the only pretty, way to get through. It. It's the only way to get through. It's pretty. It. Yeah. It's but it's yeah. it's very healthy. It's very healthy. Um. Well. Uh. We're gonna wrap up here, but the you know the final thing I always ask people is kind of what what do you what's the most important thing you've learned up to this point in your life uh, that you can share with people. The most important thing I've learned is that you can't be driven by fear. And that's a very generic statement, but I'm I'm going to apply it in a more specific way. You can't be driven by the fear of failing because if you don't try to fail, you may never succeed. Yeah. You can't be driven by the fear of the unknown, because if you don't take that leap sometimes, then what can be known? And you can't be afraid of the fear of what it means to make mistakes, because without making those mistakes, there's no new lessons that we can learn throughout our lives. And for a lot of my early years, I was so afraid. I was a and, and I'm not talking about it in, in the sense, in the clinical sense of anxiety. I'm talking about it in sort of the kind of more attributable sense of I'm afraid of letting myself down so I won't put myself out in a way where anything bad can happen. And an example of this is like at a young age, I was so terrified of doing stand-up because I know I'm a horrible stand-up. And I, one day, I just was like, I'm going to rip the fucking Band-Aid off, and I'm going to go do it. And I did a stand-up act. And I, for my first stand-up act, I, I did a 30-minute set, which wow. is ridiculous. Good Lord. That's like, that's like deciding to learn to swim by entering the Olympics. I paid for a venue. I spent $2,000 that I didn't have. Wow. And I invited some of the most important agents at the time that I could think of. And Andy, it was the single worst night of my life. <laughs> it was such garbage. It was so bad that like, I don't think anybody should ever, ever, ever have to see any of it. Like not even a minute of it was funny. Yeah. And, and I completely collapsed. And yet, it was such a good lesson. I learned so many things about myself that if I hadn't tried it, I never would have ended up being who I am today. And I, and I, I can kind of speak to many of those stepping stones in my life where I have done something that has been such an unmitigated disaster, and then it made me better. 
So the lesson that I've learned at the age of 40 is, is, is really don't be afraid of, 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 of fear. Don't let it, don't let it influence all of your decisions. Sometimes embrace it and know that it's going to go wrong. Know that it's going to sometimes be the shittiest experience of your life, but something good will come out of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that took me a while to come to terms with that. And now that I'm 42, I'm really not only comfortable with falling flat, but like, I, I really always welcome the. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much, uh, for taking the time. Uh, every, everybody go see Gutenberg, the musical, um, And, uh, and, and thank you, uh, all of you out there for listening. And I will be back next time with more of the three questions. The three questions with Andy Richter is a team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rich Garcia. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Nick Liao, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. And do you have a favorite question you always like to ask people? Let us know in the review section. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Can't you feel it ain't showing? Oh, you must be a-knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been a Team Coco production. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.